Well, again, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Thomas Fitzpatrick. I am the, uh, the tribute from District 13. All right, nah, just a senior pastor here at West Bowles. I'd much rather be that, though. Uh, so glad you are with us today, especially if it's your first time, maybe your first time in a long time uh, as a guest. You are, one or, uh, you are honored here. We are so honored by your presence with us. Uh, if you are new today, all we ask is that you stand up and do a little dance for us. So is there any guests uh, in, in the house? Oh, really? Okay. Well, uh, actually, we don't ask our guests to do that. Instead, just fill out that little card in the bulletin, turn it in the Welcome Center, and uh, you can get yourself a free gift and a ton more information about what God is doing uh, in this place. Last week was a pretty exciting week for us here at, at West Bowles. The choir was singing out in the first service. Uh, the band was rocking out in our new evening service, and God uh, was just doing what he does best. He was making all things new. So thank you to all of you that helped pull that off or were a part of that. In addition to the new services, last week we also started a new sermon series about the Holy Spirit, a series we've entitled Limitless. So the night before Jesus died, uh, he gathered all of his closest friends together and he told them he was going to give each and every one of them a parting gift. And according to Jesus himself, this was the greatest gift that God the Father could give to anybody on this side of heaven. It was the gift of his life. It was the gift of his breath, the gift of his power. It was the gift of his presence. It was the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you listen to Jesus talk about this parting gift, he sounds like an excited little kid. He sounds like one of those HGTV personalities. Right? They're about to reveal the, the, the home makeover. Are you ready to see the Holy Spirit? I mean, he is just so excited about this gift. Because more than anybody else, better than anyone else, Jesus knew what a spirit-infused life looked like. And he wanted every single one of his followers to experience that same life. Now here's the crazy thing about it. That gift that he was talking about that night, the gift that he wanted to give to the 12 disciples, he also wants to give it to us. There's not a single verse in all the Bible that relegates the power of the Spirit or the presence of the Spirit or even the gift of the Holy Spirit to that first group of 12 disciples or even to the first century church. So if you grew up hearing that the Holy Spirit was only something that you could talk about or read about, well, you were horribly misinformed. Go get your money back. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is someone right now who wants to be with you. In fact, he wants to be in you. I love how in John 3, God says he not only wants to give us this gift, but he wants to give us this gift without limit. The Holy Spirit is available to us in limitless ways. If we're having trouble experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, the peace of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, those limitations, they're on our end of the equation because he is given to us without limit. He's the greatest gift we could ever receive. The gift that Jesus talked about that night, the parting gift. Here's the problem, though, with this gift, church. Although a lot of us have received this gift, you have yet to open it. You know why retailers love when people purchase gift cards? Because we stink at redeeming them. Let me give you some numbers. They're going to blow you away. The average American family has $300 of unused gift cards lying around the house or stuffed in a glove box or a glove compartment somewhere. $300. From 2005 to 2011, $41 billion worth of unredeemed gift cards went through the American system. Guys, if you're not going to use that money, go ahead and give it to me, all right? If you're not going to use it, I'll take it from you. I don't know if we could pay the church debt using Starbucks gift cards or Amazon gift cards, but we're going to try. 
41 mil, that's plenty. That'll take care of it. $41 billion of unredeemed gift cards. And what happens with gift cards also happened with the gift of the Holy Spirit in a lot of our lives. You received a gift. You were given a gift. But you have yet to open the gift. You have yet to utilize, you have yet to use the gift. It's just sitting in the house. It's just sitting in the glove compartment. Now, it's important to understand a few things on the front end of a spirit a Holy Spirit series. First of all, there is no way we're going to be able to talk about everything there is to talk about the Holy Spirit in just a couple of weeks together. Uh, we will talk about a lot of things. We're going to address a lot of different questions, but we're not going to be able to get to all of them. This series is just a starting point. Hopefully it starts the conversation that we will continue to have as a church moving forward. On our Facebook page, I'm going to try each week to post a resource that I've been utilizing over the last couple of weeks so that you can go and read more or, or dive deeper if that's of interest uh, to you. So we can't talk about all of it, but I'm so excited to talk about some of it because chances are you've never talked about any of it. So we're going to have some fun. Secondly, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to be okay with and we're actually going to have to embrace mystery. Mystery. Jesus had a conversation with a guy one night named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was kind of your atypical know-it-all. He had to have all the answers. He had it all figured out. But Jesus said when it comes to the Holy Spirit, Nicodemus, you can't figure it out. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't nail him down. You can't understand everything there is to understand about him. You can't know it all with absolute certainty. The Holy Spirit is somewhat mysterious. I mean, think about this, church. How does the same Spirit that brought calm to the chaos in creation, how does that same Spirit bring calm to your chaos? I don't know. How does that very same Spirit who put life into Mary's belly and that same spirit who brought life back to Jesus' dead body, how does that same spirit bring us life? Whew, I don't know. How does that same spirit that caused the early church to just explode in conviction and in conversions, how will he help West Bowles to explode in the same ways? Guys, I'm not, I'm not sure I know. I think there are some answers to those questions. I'm excited that we're going to talk about that stuff, but I'm not sure we're ever going to fully understand. I mean, we're not dealing with a math equation here. This is not a connect-the-dots worksheet. This is the spirit of the living God. You can hardly understand your husband or your wife or your kids for that matter, right? Like, what were you thinking? How are we ever going to fully understand the mind of God? But I want you to be okay with that. I want you to actually love that, that God is so big that we're never going to fully, completely understand who he is. It reminds me of that great scene in Dead Poet Society. Anybody remember that, that Robin Williams movie? Mr. Keating is a professor at an all-boys preparatory school. He's the English professor. And the first day of class, they're reading this, this uh, book on poems. And he has a student read uh, the, the introductory chapter. The first line is the introductory chapter. Well, it's all about how you measure poems through meter and rhyme. You evaluate and judge a poem's effectiveness by graphing it on this chart. And Mr. Keating stops the kid dead in the chart. He says, rip that page out. You know, the boys are in their suit and ties. They look around each other like, rip that page out. He's like, rip it out. So one guy, like the class clown in the back, right, the rebel, like, actually, rip it all out. Rip the entire introduction out of the book. And they just go to town on it. Now, I'm not asking you to do that right here with this, okay? We trust this book. We like it. <laughs> but up here, I think some of you might have this book, this understanding of the Holy Spirit, and it's all about understanding exactly how it's supposed to happen or how it goes or understanding it with perfect clarity. Guys, rip that out. It's all about embracing it and experiencing it, just like poetry. You can't exactly 
plot it on a chart. So let me pray for us as we dive into this second week of the study. Father, be with us now. You brought us life. You brought us uh, air to our lungs this morning. And so physically, we owe all of the life to you, God. And we pray now that spiritual life will come into each person here in this room. Some of us are asleep spiritually. Maybe some of us are even dead spiritually. And so we pray, God, that you will breathe your life into us now. As you woke us up this morning from our bed, would you wake our souls up now to you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, imagine with me that you grew up on a uh, deserted island with nothing but the Bible. Okay, you also have a volleyball named Wilson, but it's just you, it's just you, Wilson, and the Bible. If all you had to read was the Bible, what things would you naturally come to believe were true about the Holy Spirit? What would you come to expect from the Holy Spirit in your own life as a believer, but also in the life of the church as a whole? You just read this book, you just flip through it, especially the New Testament, what understanding would you have of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think every single person would say, he's the MVP of the game. I mean, the Holy Spirit is in and behind and working in every single major narrative, every single major moment, the Holy Spirit is part of that moment. He is all over the scriptures. He has infused every person to do every great thing they've ever done. Talk about the Holy Spirit. Now let's say we come and we rescue you from that island. Although, after looking at that, I'm like, no, nah, just leave me there. It's cool. You know, we're good. We're good. But let's say we come rescue, and then we take you to church. Now, again, you've developed an understanding of the Holy Spirit based upon what you've read in this book. How does what you saw in this match what you see there? How does your understanding of the Spirit in here match what we see and experience together in here? You with me? I think we'd be a little confused. I think it'd be like, guys, where's the Holy Spirit at? Where, where's, where's the one I read about all the time in this book? Where, where is he? Because he's everywhere in here, but, but more often than not, he's hardly ever to be seen in here. And I think that's a problem. That's a big problem. You see, the Holy Spirit of the New Testament doesn't seem to match the spirit that we talk about or that we know about today. Today, success in churches is measured by attendance, isn't it? Not by an anointing of the Spirit. Today's success in Christianity is measured by how many people show up, not if God shows up. Today's success in Christianity is based on how good the coffee tastes, how good the music sounds, how short the sermon is. And don't say amen to that one. <laughs> it's not based upon the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, is it? That's not how we make reports. That's not how we talk about our year, an anointing of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, a manifestation of the Spirit. I mean, think about this with me, guys. What caused the early church to do the crazy, radical things that they did? 150 average Joes turn a religion upside down that was 4,000 years old. They also turn over the, the world power at the time, the Roman Empire. What would cause, what would empower, what would enable 150 people to do that? They didn't have unlimited financial resources. They were poor. They didn't have a sweet building, state-of-the-art sanctuary. They met in homes. They didn't have advanced degrees or formal training. They were unschooled fishermen. They didn't have any of those things, but they did have one thing. You know what they had? The Holy Spirit. And when you have him, it makes up for the deficiency of not having any of the other things. 
The fact that they had him made up for all the things they lacked. Guys, the same is true for us today. When we get him, when we have him, when we're infused with him, it will make up for all of the other things we lack. Now, we can try to change all the stuff and produce transformation here in our own church. Like, we change the bulletin, we change the music, change the color of the carpet. The Holy Spirit changes lives. And that's what I want to be about. Listen, I love me a new carpet and a good cup of coffee, and I love our new stuff. But I want a changed life. I want a changed community, not just a changed bulletin. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. My message and my preaching, they were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might, rest on, might not rest on human wisdom, but it will literally rest on God's power. See, your faith is designed to be built on to be founded upon, to be rooted in, and actually to demonstrate the power of God. Yes, we believe because of the logic of God. Christianity makes sense. That meta-narrative, it makes sense of all the questions you could ever ask. So we believe because it's logical to believe. Yes, we believe because of the love of God, right? We felt the love of God. Wait, he loved me even though I hated him? That's incredible. We believe because of love. We believe because of grace. That when I got the speeding ticket, the cop actually paid me 200 bucks. We're like, this is crazy. We believe because of logic and love and grace. But you know what Paul says? You know why you, I want you to believe? I want you to believe because you've seen God's power. I want your faith to be built on God's power. How many of you could say that's true in your life? See, when the Spirit comes, it's not about what he did back then. It's about what he always does when he shows up. When the Spirit comes, he will do exactly what he did in here, right in here. And I'm ready for it. Are you? I'm ready for it. But in order for us to tap into that presence, in order for us to unwrap this gift, use the gift card, we've got to know a little bit more about it. So today I want to give you a couple of basics on the Holy Spirit that will really help us move forward for the rest of the series. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 is a small little passage, but it says so much about the Holy Spirit. It says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may it be with you all. That's how Paul ended his letter. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is incredibly insightful as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. Let me show you three things. So who is the Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is this person? Well, he's God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now read that line real, real, real careful, real slow. He is God. Now for some, hearing that the Holy Spirit is God, well, that's just kind of like crazy talk. I mean, saying that he's up there with God the Father is like saying that, that Tim Tebow is up there with John Elway. Fine. I don't care how cute you think he is, they ain't on the same playing field. But for some of us, it's like that. Like the Holy Spirit, nah, not exactly God. We tend to think of the Holy Spirit as the awkward third wheel to the Trinity, don't we? And not the third most important part to the Trinity. He comes along for the ride because he's like your little brother. they got nothing better to do, nowhere else to go. It's like, yeah, don't worry about the Holy Spirit. He just, Mom made him come. Right? Like, Mom made me take him today. But the scripture teaches otherwise. Remember back a few years ago in the Miami Heat made a big deal out of the big three? It's like LeBron and D-Wade and, and uh, Bosch were all coming together. It's like the big three. Well, guess what? They stole that from the Bible because there's another big three. A much bigger three. It's called Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, we see it at Jesus' baptism. In that one moment... Maybe one of the most important moments in all 
human history, in fact. The Spirit comes down, the Spirit comes down on the Son as an affirmation of the Father. The big three together. In his prayer at the Last Supper, the Son asks the Father to send the Spirit. The big three working in perfect harmony. In the Great Commission, we're commanded to go make disciples, baptizing in the name of whom? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The big three. Hebrews 9.14 says Christ literally offered his body to the Father through the Spirit. The blood was poured out of Jesus, given to God the Father through the power of the Spirit. And then 2 Corinthians 13.14, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. See, the witness of Scripture makes it super clear that the Holy Spirit is a full and equal member of the Godhead, which that sounds kind of like uh, seminary. So hold on, which is like, that means when you, when you hear from the Holy Spirit, when you feel the Holy Spirit, when you listen to the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You listen to, follow, are filled with God. God. He is in you. But the opposite is also true, right? When you, when you don't listen to the Spirit, when you don't follow the Spirit, when you don't ask for the Spirit to take control, you're saying you don't want that from God. He is the same thing. He is just as much God as God is and as Jesus is. Now, just in case you're still not convinced, I'm going to give you one more uh, example. Acts 5. Two individuals named Ananias and Sapphira, they come to the church and they, they give some money, but they lie about how much money they actually gave. It's like the biblical example of cheating on your taxes. Like, uh-uh. So Peter says this to them. Acts 5.3. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, very next verse. You have not lied to men. You have lied to God. When you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. So again, when you listen to the Spirit, you're listening to God. When you honor the Spirit, you're honoring God. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with God. He is fully God. We don't have to settle for some second-rate God here, like a little JV version of God, little brother God. No, this is God. He's in us, the real God, the real thing. Shar and I were talking this last week about how she's going to talk about all this stuff to the little ones. I was like, I'm so sorry, the Holy Spirit with the... With, uh, Six-year-olds, have fun with that. But she's, she's doing some incredible stuff. Right now, they're talking about it. They're worshiping with the Spirit. It's incredible what's happening downstairs right now. But we started talking about maybe the best example for them is a tripod. Or this idea that, that this thing only really works and only really exists and only really does what it does when all three legs are equal, right? When all three legs are present. When they're all working in harmony. That's Father, Son, Holy Spirit right there. And a lot of us in our Christian faith, we have two legs of the tripod, and we like hold it up for a second, then we run out, and it's like, whoo, right? And then it falls over. It's like, ah, ah, why don't my pictures come out good? Like, what's wrong in my faith? I've got the Holy Spirit. It's the third leg of the tripod. Taking the picture is a lot easier when you've got that third leg up. And Christianity is a lot easier when you've got the third part of the Godhead in you. Now, one of the reasons that we don't typically talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot is because he doesn't typically talk about himself a whole lot. One thing we're going to find about the Holy Spirit, whenever he talks, he's always making a big deal about Jesus. I just love that about him. He's never making a big deal out of himself. He's never like, hey, come on, guys. I'm just as much God as God is. Give me some time and attention. The Holy Spirit's like, isn't God amazing? Isn't Jesus wonderful? 
When you hear the Holy Spirit talk, it's like a starstruck lover. Like, ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, isn't Jesus wonderful? Wasn't his sacrifice wonderful? Wasn't his earthly ministry wonderful? The Spirit is always pointing you to Jesus. So that's why we haven't given him his due. But make no mistake about it. The Holy Spirit's a big deal. A very big deal. Because he's God. The Holy Spirit also wants to be in close fellowship with you. It's something else we learned from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting phrase, Paul. What do you mean by that? Well, let's make sure we're on the same page here. When you and I talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about a person. Okay, we're not talking about a force or a power. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing or a ghost. He is a he. You don't have fellowship with a chair or a plastic podium. You have fellowship with a person, right? And throughout the scripture, the Spirit is constantly referred to and described in very personal ways. Listen to this. The Spirit has a will, has a mind, has desires. The Spirit loves, prays, and speaks the Spirit can be grieved, insulted, resisted. And we just learned in Acts 5, the Spirit can be lied to. He is talked about in personal ways because he is a person. And not just any person, a person who wants to have a relationship with you. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That is one of God's greatest gifts to you and one of God's greatest desires for you is to have fellowship with his Spirit. You see, God has always wanted to dwell with his people. He's always wanted to live right there with them, right there next to them. We see at the beginning of time, they're walking together in the garden, Adam and Eve, hand in hand with God. Can you imagine that experience? Then at the end of the story, we see God again at the center of the city, walking and living with his people. So before sin entered the equation, God had this intimate connection with his people. After sin has been done away with, at the end of the equation, God has intimate connection with his people. What about in between? What about right now where we are? God still wants to have intimate connection with his people. He's not going to let sin stand in the way. All right, I used to hate history class. And in history class, I'd like stare off in space or stare at the girl across the room. Stay with me just for a second. History lesson, super important one. The first church building that God asked his people to build, do you remember what the first church building was called? Tabernacle. Yes, excellent. You guys are so smart. The tabernacle. Let them make me a sanctuary, he said, that I may dwell in their midst. Exodus 25, 8. A temporary structure, kind of a, t a church on wheels, a big tent. But in that tent, God was going to place his spirit. God was going to live with and around and amongst his people, especially on the top of the Ark of the Covenant where his presence would dwell. Okay, so we have tabernacle. You with me? Then later on, God asked them to build a more formidable structure, a more permanent structure, this one was called the temple. Yes. Man, you guys could pass the test. The priests could not continue their service, it says in 2 Chronicles 5.14. 2 Chronicles, because the, the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. So we went from this kind of tent on wheels, this church on wheels, if you would, in the tabernacle. Then we built a temple. But the temple still had the same quality. God's presence was still inside the temple. It still was, was located in that space. Now fast forward a few hundred years. Jesus shows up. Jesus is the, is the manifestation of God that we've never seen before. He's with us in a way we've never experienced before. And how does Jesus refer to his body? He says, destroy this 
temple and I will rebuild it. So we had the tabernacle where, where God's spirit rested. Then we had the temple where God's spirit rested. Then in Jesus, the new temple, it's moving from a building now to a body, but the spirit still rests. See that? At his baptism, who comes down and anoints the Holy Spirit? I mean, who anoints Jesus? I gave you the answer. You're so lucky. Holy Spirit. Right? Holy Spirit comes and anoints Jesus. And what does it say about him? We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. It anoints him and it stays on him. It rests on him. That's what it did in the tabernacle. That's what it did in the temple. Now it's doing it in Jesus. Oh, I like history all of a sudden. Okay, here we go. Fast forward a few more years. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You were like that little tabernacle in the beginning where Jesus' spirit, where God's spirit is now resting. You were like that temple in the middle of history where God's spirit is now resting. You were like Jesus' body where the spirit anointed and rested upon. That's you now. It went from several buildings to a couple of bodies and yours included. Are you with me? That's amazing. God has always wanted to dwell with us, to reside with us. And every time, like Kim's song, he gets closer and closer and closer. And the spirit is as close as it gets. Many are reluctant, though, to embrace this relationship, to get closer out of fear of uh, misconceptions, out of uh, stereotypes, misunderstandings of the Spirit. That leads us to our third and final point. The Holy Spirit has been given for your good. All right, look back, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, oh, grace, yes, wonderful, amazing grace, right? We love grace. We're like, yes, more grace, please. And the love of God, oh yeah, I love that too. Got to have more of that unconditional, inexhaustible love that knows me by name. Yes, love. And the fellowship of the, huh? Right, that's how we typically read that verse, whether we know it or not. May the grace of Christ, I love grace. May the love of God, I love love. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We're not so sure what to do with that third part, are we? The fellowship of who? The what with the Holy Spirit? We're all for grace, we're all for love, but we're not exactly sure what this fellowship piece is. Now, I know that might be extreme, but, but a lot of us, tell me if I'm wrong here, but a lot of us, we read about the blessings of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit over here, but then we immediately think about all the weird people who do things in the name of the Spirit over here, right? Like on one side, we have all these visions and understandings of the Spirit, like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to have something like that in my own life? But that's weird, but that's odd, right? We immediately think of kind of the wackadoo, weirdo stuff done in the name of the Spirit, don't we? I remember vividly one of the first times I was in a setting as a minister in a, in a, set, in a situation where let's say the Spirit was running wild, okay? It was a concert a student brought me to. I'd never been in a situation like this. Band cranked it up. People started dancing. Woman had like a ribbon. That's what I'm going to do next down here is ribbon. Love ribbon. <laughs> then some people started speaking in a language I'd never really heard before. Tongues started flowing freely. I was a little overwhelmed by that. But I was okay for the most part. And then, then I saw it. Actually, I heard it. It sounded like a witch's cackle over in the corner. And I'm taken aback. I look over in the corner, and there's a woman literally standing, nose in the corner, laughing hysterically. 
after I picked my jaw off the floor, I asked my buddy, I'm like, dude, what is the deal with her? And he says, oh, well, that's the gift of holy laughter. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you. And I looked right at him and I said, well, I don't want him to do that to me. How do I stop him from doing that to me? But when I think about Holy Spirit, that's the image that immediately comes to mind. Not all the blessings, not all the fruit, not all the power, not all the gifts. I, I, I could think about all those things, but I don't. Instead, I think about laughing lady in the corner. But stop and think about this for a minute now. Who do you think is the author of the lies? Who do you think is the author of the stereotypes and the fears about the Spirit? Well, Satan, of course he is. Don't you think that's Satan, the one who despises your father and who despises you, the one who despises God and all of his children, don't you think he's going to do everything in his power to twist and distort your view of the Holy Spirit? Well, of course he is. It's the greatest gift God could give to you. So, of course, Satan's like, don't use the gift card. Don't do it. You don't want to use that gift card. Only weirdos use the gift card. He is going to twist and distort the greatest gift. Of course he is. He wants you to think that when you give the Spirit a larger role in your life, that you're suddenly going to be a religious nut. He wants you to think that, that fellowship with the Spirit is something to be feared. Because if you embrace the Spirit, if you ask for more of the Spirit, if you live in the Spirit, you'll be laughing in the corner. So we fear it. But he is not to be feared. Think about this. If, if what Jesus said is true, if the Spirit is God's presence in our heart, God's power in our life, then it makes sense the enemy would want to stop you at all costs from living in that power. Look at Acts 10, 37 and 38. The apostles reflecting back on Jesus' ministry. You know that what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached? How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power? And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil? Because God was with him. Did you see that? The Holy Spirit's presence is the only thing that can undo Satan's power. So of course Satan doesn't want you to know about it. Of course Satan wants you to think it's just for wackadoos and religious nuts. The greatest gift available to you is going unused and untapped because Satan has convinced you it's a bad gift. But nothing could be further from the truth. Oh, nothing could be further from the truth. God is good, amen. Jesus is good, amen. The gift of the Holy Spirit is just as good. It's just as good. Nothing the Holy Spirit does in your life or asks you to do should ever be feared. Like Bob Dylan used to say, it's all good. It's all good. The Spirit is what made Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry so powerful. If you think about it, Jesus was literally birthed out of the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? It says he was raised from the dead, talk about this on Easter Sunday, by the power of the Spirit. And every day from the first until the last, he lived anointed by the Spirit. See, he knows what an amazing, anointed, spirit-filled life will look like, and he wants you to have it, because it's a good life. In fact, it's the best life. It's an abundant life. So if you don't utilize your Amazon gift card, well, that's okay. I mean, you should. If you don't use your Starbucks gift card, again, give it to me or to Ryan. We love Starbucks. But if you don't use the gift of the Holy Spirit, well, you are missing out on the greatest gift you've ever received. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. We're going to play one more song to kind of reflect on this morning's teaching and, uh, and to spend some time just allowing you to ask God uh, to bring this gift into your life. Ask him 
that you would embrace the grace of Christ, the love of God, and that you would grow in your fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is the gift of God, is the gift of his power, is the gift of his presence. It's the gift that will undo Satan's strongholds in your life and in this world. Go ahead and open it up. Go ahead and put it to use and watch out. Watch out. Let me pray. We'll sing, sing a little bit more together. Father, you are a good, good God. We've sung that song the last couple of weeks. You are a good God. We believe that. We trust in that. Even though we go through hard times and we face challenges and trials of different kinds, God, we believe that you are so good. We see that goodness in Jesus so clearly that you would send your son to come down to this earth, that he would kind of pitch his tent right next to us. He'd come down into our mess and into our madness, and he'd make himself known. Jesus, you gave up heaven. You went through hell. You are so good. God, we know that you are good. Jesus, we know that you are good, but we question, we wonder if the Holy Spirit is good. Oh, we say it, we pay him lip service, but many of us don't truly believe that he has been given to us for our good. I pray that we would break away from that understanding this morning. I pray that we would see the Holy Spirit as the third member of the Godhead. Father, you are on your throne. Jesus, you are sitting right next to him. The Spirit is the one with us right now. The Spirit is the one here with us right now. And so we pray, thank you. We say thank you. We ask for more of him to, to be with us now. We ask for more recognition of his presence, for more re receptivity to his movement. We just pray, God, that the Spirit would have fellowship with us, each and every one of us, that we would allow it to happen. That's your desire, that's your goal, that's your hope, and we want it to be ours as well. Father, we believe that the Spirit can do things that nobody else can do, that the Spirit can break down strongholds, and the Spirit can undo Satan's work in a way that nothing else can do. And some of us need that, God. We are in a situation right now where Satan is just wreaking havoc. We are addicted, we are apathetic, we are angry. We are any number of different things, Father God, and that is Satan's work. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit to come down into these people's lives and into the life of this church to break away those chains, to break down the stronghold that Satan has in their lives, God. Would you anoint every one of them, everyone in this church and every one of our pastors and ministers, would you anoint it with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's power is that which undoes Satan's power. And so we say yes. We say bring more, send more. Yes, please, God. Make it so. We love you and we're so sorry that we've left this gift just sitting on the table, just sitting in the glove box, God. How foolish we are. The Spirit is right here. The greatest gift available to us is right here with us now, in us now. We pray he will be unleashed in us now. Please make it so, Father. Put away all of our crazy thoughts, all of our stupid stereotypes, God. Just do away with all of those things. Help us to see the Spirit fresh and anew. Help us to see that he is our friend and that he wants to change our lives for the good. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray.